0: Well, good morning, friends. It's great to be with you. My name is Ethan Magnus, one of the pastors here. Uh, As Bree mentioned already, we are continuing rolling through the New Testament. So if you've lost track... This is another great week to jump in, because next week we kick off a new book, the book of Luke, or Mark 13 through Luke chapter 1. So if you want to jump in with us, don't try to catch up, just keep up, jump in, Luke chapter 1, read Luke chapter 1 next week, and then it'll be five chapters a week uh, from there on out. Also, I want to put a plug in, uh, Ellie in the announcements mentioned Financial Peace University. Uh, You know, a lot of us are trying to figure out better strategies for managing God's money uh, so that we can get out of debt and we can start living a more free life. This is a great, great tool, uh, super useful. Kenny is an amazing teacher, uh, so if you've never done that you need something like that, uh, jump in on that tonight. You want to you get there uh, for that. Uh, let's see, we're in the middle of Love Month here. Uh, I'm still representing, wearing red, uh, and so, and I see some of you are too, good for you. Uh, I just want to let you know, we had another amazing, uh, we have lots of amazing bus uh, Love Month stories. I'm not w- sure why I keep telling ones from the bus station, but I told this one last time about somebody who got hooked up with a family and got them into a program and all this good stuff happening. I got another bus station story for you. I emailed Kathy Friday and said, okay, give me another story, and she gave me another bus station story. But I love this one. It's super fun. So we're doing this thing at the bus station all through Love Month where they're going down early Saturday morning and feeding coffee and stuff to all the people that are coming through. Tons of people uh, come through a bus station Saturday mornings. So one of the weeks, I think it was two weeks ago, our Hispanic group, uh, the worships with us at the eleven o'clock hour. Uh, they were the ones who kind of took the, in charge of the bus ministry that week, and they've been there a little while doing their thing. And uh, one of the a bus pulls in; it's kind of just doing a little layover stop. And the bus driver comes over and gets some coffee and kind of figures out what's going on, and says, "Just a second, and goes back to his bus and goes and tells the bus, "Hey, everybody, there's free coffee, whatever." And they all start getting off and pretty soon we discover that it's this whole busload, it's a Spanish speaking only bus tour going from Georgia to Pennsylvania. We'd had our we'd had our people out there giving coffee, you know, three weeks, you know, four weeks in a row. We got one week where everybody there is a fluent Spanish speaker, and that's the one week that a bus pulls through and conversations start up and ministry starts happening and blessings starts happening. And you know I don't even know what to do when God does stuff like that. You know what are you supposed to do? One, the one week you spend, send all the people in your church who speak Spanish is the one week God sends the bus of people who just speaks Spanish, and that's just cool, and I love God, and that's awesome. So I don't even know what to do. I just thought you'd want to know that story. That's pretty cool you know another thing that was cool um, is uh last week so we did this thing we're in this thing love like jesus right you know and last week we talked about loving our neighbor and we talked about how there's a heart issue you got to recognize your neighbor when you see him and then there's a hands issue you got to get down and do some stuff and so we switched up last week how we were doing our food drive we sort of called an audible it was supposed to be this month-long thing and we just changed it uh and it was amazing I was uh, my wife and i we just stayed at after church, just greeting people as they came back, and then again after the Sunday night service, it was so much fun, I got a picture, this is what the pile looked like, that's like at 2.30, and I wish I'd taken one later, because it was twice as big later, and there were three other piles in different places of church, it was amazing, if if you want to go down to the atrium, if you you enter up here, and you haven't made it down to the atrium, to see the pile of food down there, it is insane, it is just crazy, I did, this is about three o'clock, this is is what the, uh, that's the peanut butter shelf at the local Target, uh, not a single jar of peanut butter. Um, I went by later. Unfortunately, my my phone battery had died by then because I'd been taking pictures of empty shelves all day. But I went by later to the Kroger across the street. They had like eight jars of peanut butter left in the whole, you know, two sections wide, eight shelves tall. Um, Absolutely, that you know, we had said we need the microwavable mac and cheese because that's what the kids make at the Kroger over there. The regular mac and cheese aisle, completely full, just like it ought to be. The microwave mac and cheese, you know, three columns of microwave mac and cheese, totally gone, except for one in the back that looked like it had been smashed, probably when two of y'all were fighting over it. That's what I assume happened. But anyway, it was amazing. So, way to go, First Christian Church. Just give yourselves a huge round of applause. Uh, That is is awesome. That is awesome. I just really, and I, I just... There is something about it, it was just so much, everybody was just having so much fun. Families were coming back, dropping off food, people talked about who they met in the grocery store. Uh, we're going to do with that, we're going to do that again. It was just too much fun, so be on the lookout, and if you missed it this time, don't miss it next time, because you don't want to be left out of the fun. All right, so today, uh, we're continuing uh, in this journey to try to love like Jesus, Uh, recognizing that if if we're a follower of Christ, we are trying to be like Jesus, which means we need to love like Jesus. And this week, um, we're just going to encounter one of the clearest, simplest, hardest challenges for those of us who really want to love like Jesus. In fact, I just want to warn you in advance, I think for a lot of us, this is probably going to be a hard message. Uh, I, I think this is one of these areas where we have been well trained by our culture to say no to Jesus. We've been well trained to reject the clear teaching of God's word. In fact, my guess is that some of us have been so well trained that even today, we're just going to refuse to hear God's word for us. That's my guess. And of course, I'm a little bit nervous because it might be me, because I also have been well trained to reject the word of God that we're going to encounter today. And I I find myself, as I stand here, needing to be extra careful that I'm not the one that refuses to hear God's word. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, give them your coat as well. If they force you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I know you've heard that it was said, Love your neighbor. And hate your enemy. But I tell you. Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. In that way you will be children of your father in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you. What reward will you get? Don't even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet those who are your own people, what are you doing that's so special? Don't even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Has anybody else noticed That already they have begun to resist the words of Christ in their heart. Have you already thought of as many exceptions as I have? Have you already said to to your Lord and Savior, yeah, but what about? That's what I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm hard to get through the text. I'm having such a busy conversation with Jesus about all the exceptions, surely, that he has forgotten to mention. If we're going to grapple with this text we've got to make sure we're really clear on the who that Jesus is talking about. I've noticed one of the ways that I wiggle out of this text is to pretend like I don't have any enemies. You know, well surely, Jesus, if I had enemies, I would love them. But I don't have enemies. You know, I'm just such a nice guy. I don't I don't have enemies or make enemies or keep enemies. That's just not how I roll, Jesus. I'm not sure this text is relevant to me. Don't pretend that way with Jesus today. I mean, Jesus is so clear. They're either your neighbor or they're your enemy, and you have to love them either way. So don't think you can get out of this by pretending you don't have enemies. That isn't going to help you listen to Jesus today. Who is your enemy? Well, this has been helpful to me. Anyone who opposes you or opposes your people is your enemy and anyone you oppose is your enemy does that help you think of who Jesus is talking about who are those you oppose or those who oppose you who are those you oppose politically or those who oppose your political goals who are those nations that you think oppose your nation Or your notion opposes theirs? What's the the football team that you're opposed to or opposes you? Anyone you oppose or opposes you, that's all it takes to be an enemy. I'm not saying you'd kill them. I'm not saying you want to hurt them. I'm just saying they work in opposition to the goals that you have set for your life. Families can divide and enemies are created as one opposes the other. Churches can divide. Oh, they stay sitting in the same pew, but one opposes the other, working against the other, undermining the other, and in opposition, they are enemies. Friendships turn into rivalries. Social groups and clubs, oppositional forces arise, and when you have opposition, you have an enemy. Who is your enemy? Anyone you oppose or opposes you. Do you know yet who Jesus is talking about in your life? It might help you to admit to a name or two. If if you really want to obey what Jesus is teaching in this text, it might help you to just have a name. Yes, so and so. They've been in opposition to me for a long time. That political party, I oppose everything they stand for. That nation, that government, that person, that faction. To understand the power of what Jesus is asking of us, we have to admit to the present reality of how we often relate with those we oppose. We have to be clear on how we have treated and often are treating our enemies because this is not somebody else's problem. This is my problem. This is your problem. We have mocked those we oppose. We have rejoiced at their failures. We have enjoyed their pain. We have delighted in their defeat We have sung at their suffering. Even us, even the church has done this. I remember hearing an interchange. It was on the news, you know, one of these shows where the talking heads are talking like talking heads do. It was during the first Gulf War, just after the kind of opening attacks, which seemed to have been rather successful for the American side of the war. And one of the talking heads said, Can you believe all that we've accomplished with only such and such a number of casualties? Celebrating the success and the relatively limited loss of life. And the other talking head said, Well, you mean coalition casualties, You're not counting how many civilians were bombed. I was undone. Because I also wasn't counting how many civilians were bombed. I was celebrating that my side had won the war. And on my side, few died. It didn't even occur to me that we would count the deaths on the other side. Like, they didn't even, that math wasn't even relevant for me. My issue isn't the newscaster. I'm not worried about the newscaster's heart. I'm worried about my heart. Because those numbers made sense to me. I didn't notice because I had forgotten about the lives of my enemies. I'd just forgotten them. Until... One of the talking heads said, well, you're just counting our side. You're not counting their side. I was watching a football game some months ago. There was an injury. You could tell by the number of people that ran to the field and the way they crowded around that it must have been a bad one, and it was. But we couldn't see. Everything was swamped with people. Someone in the crowd asked loud enough for us all to hear, is it one of ours? Someone with a different vantage point called back, no! And the whole section, like nobody really said anything, but the whole section breathed a sigh of relief. And I don't tell this story to condemn them because I was there sitting with them. I mean, if anybody needs to be condemned by this story, it's just me. And, and if you want to sit there and say you would have never done that and you've never done anything like that and it's never happened to you, well then just listen in. Apparently I'm the only one who needs to hear this sermon. But what I'm just saying, it took me a second to recoil in shock from our collective cruelty that it somehow mattered to us what uniform that teenage boy wore, like we somehow cared what color his uniform was. Now, I know we didn't really, and I know if we'd had a second, we would have gotten, I know, I know, I know, I know, I'm just saying, in the second, in the moment. Jesus says we have enemies. We have people who oppose us. And people we oppose. And if we want to be like God, we need to love them. To pull this off, we first got to be clear about the who. Who is your enemy? Maybe you've got somebody in mind. The second thing we've got to be clear about is we've got to be clear about the what. What is this love to which Jesus calls us? Uh, Jesus is not calling you to have warm feelings about your enemies. Some of you have enemies for a reason. They're not nice people, and that's a, you're allowed to admit that. Uh, Jesus is not calling on you to like your enemies. They might not be likable, and that's okay. Jesus is not calling on us to somehow allow their destructive plans to succeed, if your enemies are hurting you or hurting others, Jesus isn't saying, "Don't intervene, don't stop them. Just watch. He's not saying any of that. Jesus is calling us to adopt a specific practice of good toward our enemies. Which often precisely will mean stopping them from harmful action, if that's the kind of enemy they are. But it always means real activity that functions for their blessing. Here's the way Paul puts it in his letter to the Roman church Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality, and now he gets laser focused. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Here's another. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy, the one you oppose or the one who opposes you, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. This is a a Hebrew metaphor for make him feel ashamed of his evil. Make Make him feel shame. Do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Notice in Paul's teaching how practical he expects our response to the enemy to be. Bless them, Paul says. Do not repay their evil with evil. Live intentionally at peace. Do not take revenge. Feed them when they are hungry. Share a drink with them when they are thirsty. And overcome evil with good. We saw last week where we talked about loving our neighbor, that loving our neighbor is a work of the heart and a work of the hands. And loving our enemy is the same dual work. It is not enough to just say, oh, I don't hate them. I don't harbor ill will in my heart. That isn't what Jesus is asking. What Jesus is asking of me and of you is so much bigger than that. Jesus is asking us to actively engage as a positive force of blessing in the life of the one we oppose or who opposes us. And that is just crazy. That is completely at odds with what the world teaches. You would only do such a thing if you believed in the lordship of Jesus Christ. In fact, I want to talk a little bit about why you would possibly do such a thing. Why would you possibly adopt a posture of blessing towards your enemy? God's Word gives us a couple reasons. Uh, Romans uh, 12, 19. Uh, We adopt a posture of blessing because when we love our enemies, it honors God's role as the judge. We are not the judge. God is the judge. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So one of the reasons we choose to love enemy is because we honor God's role as judge, not us. Jesus says one of the reasons we do it is because when we love our enemies, we are like God. We, we, we are God-like. And that's what this whole series is about, right? Learning to love like Jesus. Here's the way Jesus put it. I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. If you want to be sons and daughters of God, love your enemies, for that's what God does. The sun rises on the evil and the good, rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Uh, Maybe most practically, the reason we must love our enemies is because this is the only way we will truly overcome evil. You can't overcome evil by evil. That just makes a world where there is more evil. But Paul says, do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. You, you can actually, the, you, the good can drive out evil. Uh, the, the first sermon I ever uh, read on this text, Love Your Enemies, um, where I actually felt like someone was ready to try and obey it uh, was a sermon by Martin Luther King. I read it in the, uh, I read it probably in the late 80s, uh, but he preached it in 1961. Uh, this is before he was super famous. He preached this when he was just beginning to teach his approach to social change. Uh, he preached at a rally of churches uh, in Detroit, uh, and he talks about this point that Paul makes, that that we, we, can, we can genuinely overcome evil by doing good, but you can never overcome evil by doing evil. Here's the way Martin Luther King puts it in that sermon. He writes, I would say that the first reason we should love our enemies is this. To return evil for evil only intensifies the existence of hate and evil in the universe. And somewhere along that way of life, Somebody must have sense enough. Somebody must have morality enough. Somebody must have religion enough to cut off the chain of hate and evil. And this can only be done by meeting hate with love. For you see, in a real sense, if we return hate for hate and violence for violence and all of that, it just ends up destroying everybody and nobody wins in the long run. It is the strong one who stands up in the midst of violence and refuses to return it. It is the strong one, not the weak one, who stands up in the midst of hate and returns love. I think King is exactly right. When we return evil for evil when we respond to our enemy with the same cruelty with which they have treated us, when we persecute the very one who has persecuted us, we don't win because Satan wins. The world is just a worse place. And if what we do, even if in the short run we achieve a victory, if in the long run we just make the world worse place, we've really lost even if we think we've won. If we want to love our enemies like Jesus did, we've got to be clear on the who. Who are we talking about? We're talking about those who oppose you and those you oppose. We've got to be clear on the what. We are not just talking about a posture of love or an attitude of love. We are talking about an active decision to bless our enemies. We've got to be clear on the why. We love our enemies because it honors God. And we love our enemies because it's the only thing that makes the world a better place. And we've got to be clear on the how. And maybe for you today, this is the stopping point. It may be you'd already heard everything I've said so far. You already knew you were supposed to love your enemies. And maybe you just thought, where do I start? How do I do it? I mean, they haven't asked me for food in a while. They haven't asked me for anything to drink. What do I actually do? Well, I... I actually think these texts give us some really, really clear instructions. And so maybe this, uh, this isn't as easy as running to Target and buying peanut butter was. I know that was super easy and fun. To, but, but I am going to end with instructions that are just as clear. They just aren't going to be as much fun, okay? So this won't look as good on Twitter. But, I'm gonna, but Jesus is pretty clear with some strategies you might try. Here's strategy number one for how we actually love our enemies. Number first thing we've got to do is we've got to pray for them. Jesus says this, Matthew five forty four. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And, and I would just say, if, if, if maybe, if, you know, this is the thing that happens to me, if I know what would happen, if I were listening to this message, I would be saying, but you don't know my enemies. You don't know how persistently they have persecuted me, how much they oppose me, how ruthlessly they hurt me, I would just say, just start here. Just pray for them. And if you say, but I can't bring myself to pray for them, I'd say, that makes sense. Pray for the strength to pray for them. You're like, I can't even bring myself to pray for the strength to pray for them. I was like, okay, that makes sense. Pray for the strength to pray for the strength to pray for them. You just go as far back as you need to. And just go to God and say, God, out there in the distance is a real prayer for the blessing of my enemies. And that feels so far away from me, I can't even see that. But I'm willing to get started in that direction and trust that you'll bring me to that place. And God will do that. And one day, eventually, you'll just find us. I know this is going to sound silly to some of you, but when I'm really struggling with with, uh, with praying for my enemies, uh, here's a place I start if they're married, I pray for their marriage, because um, what I've discovered is even if I just hate somebody's politics, and that, boy, that's how we get, for me, I get all riled up and on this political stuff, and, you know, it just, just, and I just feel like I just fall into our culture and have to really work against that, but even if I hate somebody's politics, I always want their marriage to be good, you know, I don't, I don't I'm not awful, so that's helped me. I just pray for their marriage, that's where I start. You know, God, I hope that every bill they submit to Congress fails miserably. God, I hope that none of their policies come to pass. But if you could make their marriage strong, I'd just really appreciate that. I'm just going to pray for their marriage. I start that. And some of you, I know I'm not the only person, some of you got politicians drive you crazy. They keep you up at night. They wake you up early in the morning. And you just, could, maybe Would you just join me in doing that? Let's just, if they're married, pray for their marriage. Uh, if they're not married, you're going to think this is silly, but this is where I start. I'm a big sandwich guy. I love a good sandwich. And D.C. has great sandwich shops. It does. We lived outside of D.C. I love the sandwich shops of D.C. So this, and this is going to be crazy. But for the people that aren't married, this is what I pray. God, if they stopped by one of the great sandwich shops of D.C. today, would you just make it a great sandwich? Would they just be like, I don't you know, whatever committee they got that morning, would you make sure that that committee goes, you know, the, the bill doesn't pass, but then when they go get lunch, would you just make it an awesome lunch? I would just, would you bless them with that? And I, I know this sounds ridiculous, but I'm just telling you, I have started with those prayers and, and God has taught me to love my enemies through those two silly prayers. I pray for their marriages and I pray for great sandwiches. Um, and, uh, and God has helped me to learn to love some of my enemies. Uh, and and, and I, I just, I'm just nickel and diamond my way to loving like Jesus. So start silly if you've got to. But, but that's where Jesus says to start. Act, and I just want to be clear. Some of you all have a name right now that you need to pray for this afternoon. Some, more, more urgently than we needed to buy mac and cheese last week. Some of you today before lunch need to pray a real prayer of blessing on an enemy. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's somebody from your club that's taken over the club and ruined it. Or maybe it's somebody in the church. Or maybe it's a politician. Or maybe it's another country or another nation or another army or another somebody. And as urgently as last week we needed to buy peanut butter, you need this week before lunch just pray a prayer of blessing on their life. Pray for their marriage. Pray for a good sandwich. Whatever it is, get you started. The second thing God's word teaches us to do, once we've learned a practice of real prayer for blessing on real people, don't pray, just to be clear, don't pray for your enemies generically. Put some names on there. Admit to God that you are in opposition to some people and you need to learn to love them. Second thing, Romans 12, 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. This is a quote from Proverbs, this uh, this metaphor of heaping burning coals that isn't about hurting them or paining them. It's about embarrassing them in a way that causes, that softens their heart, making them embarrassed, ashamed of their cruelty. And and both the Proverbs and Paul says that the way we diffuse the actions of our enemy is with tangible works of love. Now this is I mean, if you, if, you, if you want, you're talking about level two Christianity here, that's what we're talking about here. Let's not kid ourselves. This is not easy stuff. This is not simple. But it is the call of the gospel. And, and after you've disciplined yourself in prayer, which is where it starts, some of you are ready for this. Some of you need to send a gift card to that person at work that drives you crazy. They will never know what to do with that. Some of you need to invite them into your home and make a friend. Some of you need to take him out to the lake and go fishing. Again, from that same sermon from Martin Luther King, he talks about this text and what happens when we begin active love in the face of our enemies. He writes this. To those who oppose us, to those who seek to cruelly mistreat us, you must know this. We will match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We will meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will. We will still love you. We cannot in good conscience obey your unjust laws because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as cooperation with good. So put us in jail and we will go in with humble smiles on our faces, still loving you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children. We will still love you. Send your propaganda agents around the country and make it appear that we are not fit morally, culturally, and otherwise for integration, and we will still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our communities at the midnight hours. Drag us out to some wayside road. Beat us and leave us half dead, and we will still love you, but be assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer and one day we will win our freedom but not only will we win freedom for ourselves we will so appeal to the hearts and conscience of our enemy that we will win them as well in the process And our victory then will be a double victory. And this double victory of love seems to me to be the only answer and the only way forward for our nation to become a new nation and our world become a new world because love is the absolute power. We must love our enemies, King writes, because love has within it the very power of transformation Hate destroys. Love builds up. Hate seeks destructive ends. Love seeks constructive ends. Hate seeks to annihilate the enemy. Love seeks to convert the enemy into a brother. Hate lives in the monologue. Love lives in the dialogue. And it is only through love that we could see the work of God that would redeem and transform our enemies into neighbors. I think King is right. I think Jesus is right. There is a miracle that lies at the other end of loving your enemy. The miracle is that your enemy could be your neighbor. And the victory is won because no enemy remains. Let's pray. Gracious God, sometimes your word calls me beyond myself in ways that I am afraid to tread. And so I pray right now that you would give us a practical bravery, that we would go from this place not merely content to think a few new thoughts, but to invest ourselves in prayer for those who oppose us and to look for the opportunity of your grace that we might have to actually work a tangible good for our enemies, believing that when we love our enemies, we are like you, And that alone would be enough reward, but also believing that when we love our enemies, the great victory of the gospel might be realized in our lives, that our enemies would become neighbors and the victory would be won because there is no one left to fight. This is what we pray for. And as your followers, Lord God, we will seek nothing less. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.